Thank you. And Pastor Jay, it is good having you back as well. Pastor Meredith did a great job filling in for you these past couple Sundays, but it has been, uh, it is a joy to have you back and your family with us this morning. So hello again, Grandma Manuel. How are you doing? Is God with us? Amen. Let's dive into prayer and pray that God works through his word this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do remember your words in Deuteronomy 6 where you command your people to hear what you have to say. And Lord, that is our prayer this morning. We want to hear as your people what you have to say in your word. You have given us ears, so let us hear. But let us also listen and reflect and listen with our hearts as well as our ears so that we may worship you and obey you in deeper ways, even if it involves confession of sin, even if it involves repentance. Lord, may you do that in us so we can be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and so that we can glorify you with the offering that is ourselves. Therefore, we do all of this, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you asked yourself, why am I here? It seemed like when I was in Bible college, which by the way, thank you everyone, I did graduate last Friday. Um, Thank you for all the encouragement with that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys. Um, But reflecting on Bible college, uh, they always seemed like on the first day of the semester, there would always be that one student who would show up on the first day of class And as the professor was going through the syllabus, that student would realize, I am in the wrong class. (laughs) Either this class wasn't on my schedule, or they're realizing that what they thought they wanted to study after looking at the syllabus, we call that syllabus shock in academia, they, they realize and they ask themselves, what am I doing here? And they get up and they walk. Perhaps maybe even some of you this morning here at church, you ask yourself, why am I here? Maybe you're here because your spouse wants you to be here. Maybe you're here because there's a child dedication happening, and so you want to come and support that family. Maybe you're here because you're afraid that if you don't show up, then you're going to get a phone call from one of the pastors, or you're going to feel guilty and you feel like this is some kind of obligation. Why do Christians need to be part of this thing that we call church. Why is this necessary? Even though I've talked about this when I first started here in January, even though most Christians have a very good understanding of who Christ is, many Christians struggle to understand the purpose of church, which is ironic because we call church the body of Christ. Therefore, if we really want to be true Christians who are honoring Christ with everything that we do, we have to understand exactly why we are at church on any given Sunday. Not just because it's habit, not just because it's ritual, not out of a sense of guilt, not to make your family members happy or other people happy. We need to discover for ourselves why, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are here at church. And that's what Paul is going to address in Colossians chapter 1. So please turn with me as we end the first chapter of Colossians. It only took us four months. The reason why we preach this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, is because God says about his word 
in 1 Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. And that word Scripture, it's not just referring to the Bible as a whole. The word Scripture is actually referring to the actual things that are being jotted down on paper. That's what Scripture means. Every word, every consonant, every vowel is breathed out from God just like words are breathed out of our own mouth. Therefore, we should study and look carefully at every word that God has given us because every word in Scripture is miraculous. So it's good in the right and proper times to go slowly through Scripture. We are ending Colossians chapter 1, but remember, Paul didn't write his letter in chapters. That's something that was added later. The reason why we call this the end of chapter 1 is because he's using his biography He's reflecting on personal things in his own life to transition to the next section of teaching. That's why later on we decided uh, in church history to divide this between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But read silently along with me. I hope you brought your Bibles with you this morning, or I hope that you have it on uh, on an app on your phone. Read along with me as I read out of uh, the ESV translation, verses 28 and 29. Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul writes, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. If we're going to understand what these two verses mean and break down every word, we have to start by defining our pronouns. In the ESV, Paul starts in verse 28 with that word, him. Who is he referring to? It's not just uh, Jesus because it's a capital H and we can guess that it's Jesus. It's because of how Paul ends verse 27. Remember, last week we talked about the mystery. The idea that God had a plan of salvation that culminated in his son Jesus Christ that was being progressively revealed over the course of the Old and New Testament. And because it culminates in Christ, Christ, which Paul calls Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is what Paul is saying that he is proclaiming to everyone else. But even though we know that him is referring to Christ in you, the hope of glory, look at that next word in verse 28. We have another pronoun. He doesn't say, him I proclaim, even though he's the only one writing the letter. He says, him we proclaim. We should always pay attention to the pronouns that Paul uses. And even in chapter 1, he's shifted back and forth as he's talked about you, wanting to put the focus on you in a very convicting way earlier in the chapter. How he opens up the chapter by talking about we as he fellowships with the Colossians, these people that he had never met before. The way that Paul uses pronouns, such as you or we or us or I, is indicating what he thinks is the context or what he knows is the context of what he's teaching. Meaning that when he's talking about Christ and proclaiming Christ, he's making this claim that it's not just he himself as an apostle who was supposed to be proclaiming Christ in you, the hope of glory he significantly shifts to the first-person plural. He says, all of us, we. And there's this emphasis on everybody, because look at the words that he uses throughout verse 28. He says, him, we proclaim, warning, what's that next word? Everyone. 
and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone. Do you notice the exhaustiveness of the language that Paul is using to describe what he's doing in verse 28? So when Paul says that we proclaim Christ, he's not just referring to himself. He's not even just referring to himself in Epaphras, who we looked at earlier in the chapter. And he's not even referring just to himself and to the Colossians. He's referring to all Christians. He's referring to all believers, both Jews and Gentiles, all men who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, indwelling in you the hope of glory. If that is true of you, if you are a Christian who has repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you, along with Paul, along with the Colossians, here in Graham, Washington, also are included in this we. So because of that, what Paul has to say about what we all should be doing is going to be very important. It's going to help us answer that question of why do we take part in this thing called church. This is what he says for the rest of verse 28. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, but here's the main thrust. In order that, this is the second half of verse 28, in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our big idea for this morning. And that's why you are here this morning. Our big idea is that all Christians, based on these verses, all Christians are called to help mature each other. That's the thrust of what Paul is getting at in these two verses. Through teaching, through warning, through toiling, he says all of this is for the sake that we may present everyone as mature in Christ. This is not just something that is reserved for pastors. It's not just something that is reserved for elders. It's not, someone that's, it's not something that's reserved for your Sunday school teacher or for your Bible study leader. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are also called as a part of the church to be part of the process of presenting each other as mature in Christ. By that word mature, here's what Paul means. Sometimes when we think of the word mature, we think the opposite of childish. As an elder at my former church liked to say, everyone gets older, but not everyone grows up. When we hear the word mature, that's often what we think of. But the way that Paul is using this word mature is really the word complete. That's what that word means, complete, total. The idea that someone or something has fully grown into what they are intended to be. This language is actually even used in the sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, where it talks about a lamb having to be a year old, a sheep that was out blemished, without spot, that had reached full maturation and had not gone past the point where it was actually starting to regress in its age. The idea was that they wanted to present an animal that was complete, that was at the peak, at the pinnacle of what it was intended to be. In the same way, that's what Paul is saying we should be doing for each other to present before the Lord as complete, as mature. Oftentimes we think that, well, 
when we die and go to heaven, then we'll be perfect, we'll be free from our flesh and our sin. And that is true. We will be glorified. We will uh, have taken off this old tabernacle, as Paul calls it, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. But that doesn't give us an excuse to not take part in the process now of preparing each other in maturing each other for that day when we stand before the Lord. Many of you know that Roman Catholics believe in something called purgatory. The reason why they believe in purgatory is because they think that after you die, there's no verse that supports this in the Old and New Testament, but they believe that purgatory is a place where you can be purified, that's what purgatory means, where you can be prepared, where you can be molded and refined for heaven. Guess what, brothers and sisters in Christ? That's this. (laughs) We're in purgatory in that sense now. We are in that time of maturing and preparing each other for when we stand before the Lord. That's why God has given us his spirit. And that's why God has also instituted the family, which we looked at in child dedication, and the church. Through the way that we parent our kids, through the way that we worship together as a church family, you are here in order to present each other mature in Christ. Just as the Old Testament Israelites had to present sacrifices to the Lord, we don't have a sacrificial, sacrificial system anymore because Christ is the complete sacrifice. But we are called in a way similar to the Old Testament to work to present each other as complete and presentable to the Lord when that day approaches. That is why we have church. And that is why you are here this morning, whether you realized it or not, when you woke up today. Paul is going to give three specific ways that we as a church can actually accomplish this. That we can actually present each other as mature in Christ. The first one is going to be, is going to be this, point one, that you mature or that you make believers complete by warning and teaching them. And it looks like we even have the second one there as a sneak preview. So we can keep that on there for the sake of time. Feel free to write the second one. We're going to quickly go to that one as well. But as you finish writing that, I want us to look at the first point and see where this is coming from in Scripture. Because the words that we use in this point, as you can tell, are being derived directly from what Paul says in verse 28. Paul says that we proclaim Christ and that we do this by warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom in order that, he says, we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the way that Paul sees that we present people as mature in Christ is through two things, warning each other and teaching each other. But really, I'm going to propose, based on the way that Paul uses this in other places in the New Testament, he likes to use them in conjunction with each other, meaning that we should see warning and teaching as the same thing. We shouldn't see warning as as something very negative or necessarily confrontational. Sometimes we think warning as like getting in someone's face saying, like, you better be nice to me at the next, next potluck, or like, I'm going to go ballistic on you. That's not what Paul is calling the church to do. By talking about warning and teaching, which, by the way, that's similar to what Jesus told his disciples to do in the Great Commission, to make disciples by teaching and baptizing them. Paul is saying both warning and teaching because we are both to teach from God's word both what is good, but also about what is bad. The Bible talks about both. We are to teach our children. This is how you obey the Lord. 
This is how you honor him. This is how you worship him. This is what truth is. But we also, when there are times of sin, when we see a brother stumbling, when we see someone struggling, to come and also warn them with love, with gentleness, with timidity from God's word, that that is not the right path. That they are engaging in a behavior that is destructive both to themselves and to each other. That is what Paul means when he talks about warning and teaching. Again, not just for pastors, not just for elders, although the primary role of an elder is one of teaching. But that is one that is supposed to be widespread throughout the whole church. We are supposed to lead in our teaching and equip and raise up and disciple other men to teach. Each and every one of you here at this church should be part of a ministry that is engaged in the word. And luckily, here at Graham Emanuel Baptist Church, all the ministries that we offer are ministries of the word. You should be part of a Bible study. You should be part of a small group. You should be part of some kind of service ministry where you can serve alongside each other to present God's word to other people. If you're just attending here on Sunday, you are, you're here presently, but you're not actually engaging in what God has called church to be. Let's move to the second point. The second point is this, as you guys can see on the screen, that the second way that we mature believers, that we present each other as mature in Christ, is by working hard. That sounds a little bit like a takeaway kind of statement, like working hard, but that doesn't sound very pious or very biblical. Even the phrase working hard, sometimes we immediately just think of legalism. We hear that word work and we get very sensitive about the idea of that. But again, the words of this point and how we present each other mature are being borrowed from the words that Paul uses. In verse 29, he says this, For this I toil, is how Paul describes it. That word toil is very unique. There's other words for work in the New Testament. There's other words available in the Greek vocabulary to describe getting things done or accomplishing something. But Paul here and in other places, he uses the word toil. By using the word toil, he's putting an emphasis on exertion. Physical exertion. Some people say that toil means that you're working to the point of exhaustion. I don't necessarily agree with that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work until you just collapse. That's, uh, we don't want to make an idol out of that. But he is putting an emphasis on the fact that ministry does make you sweat. It does require sacrifice. It is grueling. It does require work. And I am always so honored and impressed and blessed by you all as church family when I see people toiling in the best way, working hard, sacrificing their time and their effort to serve other people and specifically to teach them and to present them as mature in Christ. I think of our youth staff. I brought them up last Sunday. They are sacrificing in amazing ways, church family, in the ways that they are giving up their time, giving up extra effort to fill in the gap, to fill in the things that have been missing these past few months in order to present middle schoolers and high schoolers as mature in Christ. They are providing a great model of what Paul is calling for here, and we should encourage them in that. But we should also follow in their footsteps. I mentioned the youth staff, but I know so many other areas of church. You all are doing that, and I want to commend you in that. 
and know that it doesn't go overlooked. It's not forgotten. It's not taken for granted. You do strain yourself. You exert yourself for the sake of blessing your church family, and you are obeying the Lord in doing that. Don't be like Martha and make an idol out of it. Don't be like Martha and become self-centered in your work, becoming bitter in your work, thinking that you're better than others because you serve in certain ways. But be thankful even when you're tired, even when there's that extra thing that you have to fill in for, even when there's that other thing that you have to come to but you really get to come to, that you are taking part in the work of ministry, in the purpose of the church. And that it does require strength. It does require sacrifice. And we should be willing to acknowledge that. And I would dare say, embrace it. Let's look at the third point. The third and final way that Paul says that we as a church, as Christians, are called to present each other as mature in Christ, and this is so important based on the last point of working hard, is that we can only do this by depending on God's work in us. This is only a true and valid spiritual work that is honoring to the Lord only if we do so in dependence on the fact that it must be Christ in his spirit working in us. The work of the church is the work of Christ. The work of the church is one that is fueled, empowered, and equipped not by your talent, but by Christ's spirit. That is how God fulfills his mission here on this earth. He uses us as instruments. He uses us as his hands and feet as the body of Christ, but it is only effective if it is connected to the head that is Jesus Christ, depending on Christ to lead us and his spirit to equip us to do the work that he has put before us. Again, I am borrowing this exactly from verse 29, where Paul does say that for this he toils, struggling with all his energy. We talked about that in point two. But he doesn't end it there, and it's so important that he didn't end it there. Because he ends chapter 1 and verse 29 by saying that he is struggling with all his energy, that he, referring to Christ, powerfully works within me. The next time you serve here at the church, recognize that you are doing so because of the grace and the empowering of Christ. Don't put any false stock in your speaking ability or your serving ability, the talents that other people have told you that you have. Churches will die, and they have. And they destroy Christian communities when they are made up of people who are serving based on their own talent and abilities. That produces pride. That produces self-centeredness. Paul makes it clear that he is toiling. He is struggling. He is working hard. He is exerting himself. But he is only doing so with the power that Christ, by his grace, put in him. And we as Graham Emanuel Baptist Church, we must be the same way. That is why you are part of the church, to glorify God by making disciples. That is the business model of this church. If Coca-Cola's business model is to make and sell Coca-Cola, 
our business model is to glorify God by making disciples. That's it. It doesn't matter what we put on the website. It doesn't matter what we put in the bulletin. It doesn't matter how crafty of a way that we concoct some kind of mission statement. It boils down to this. You are here not just so that you can be fed. You are here so that you can take part in worship of presenting each other as mature in Christ. Not just for yourselves, but for the Lord in the way that you serve and equip each other. I want to call you as a church family to do that. If you are not part of a Bible study or a small group, you are failing to obey these verses. They're missing out on God working in you to warn and to teach and to help lead and build them up in their walk with the Lord. If you are not serving in some way at this church, you are failing to obey these verses. You are treating church like a restaurant or a movie theater, a place that you like to attend to receive things that you enjoy consuming. And that's not why you should be here. We should be here because we want to glorify God by making disciples. And that can only be done by depending on Christ to work in us, us exerting ourselves, teaching and warning each other to prepare and build each other up to present them as mature in Christ when we stand before his throne. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, yes, someday we are going to stand before you. Every time we close our eyes, we think of you. We attempt to talk to you. Your spirit makes it even possible for that to happen. But Lord, with both anticipation and also fear, we recognize that someday we will see you face to face. And we will be held accountable, Lord. We will be called to answer for the way that we taught your people, the way that we served each other to present each other as mature and complete before you. Lord, may you use this church body for that purpose. May this be a local church where everyone, young and old, is growing in maturity, in knowledge of you, in conformity of your Son, Jesus Christ. And by your Spirit, may you equip us to serve and bless and teach each other to that end, collectively, so that we can make you look good and glorify you by the way we are making disciples. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you, church family. Have a great Sunday. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, We can laugh for a second. It's okay. Don't tell the second service.